Hello everyone, welcome back to the One Talk podcast, you're here with your host Ryan McCarthy, back for another episode. And before we get into today's episode, if you could please share this podcast around, share it to your stories, share it to a friend or a family member. It'll just help us grow this podcast, reach a bigger audience and make a bigger impact. And also if you could leave us a rating as well if you haven't, that would mean a lot as well. But today's episode, we are joined by Troy Hillard. Troy is the founder and CEO of Washright, Lawnwright, Hallmark Services, and the Handyman Group. With over 250 franchisees, Troy has done this debt-free with only investing $2,600 of his own money. Now that's inspiring. On this episode, we're touching so much around business fundamentals, how to build a franchise, the work that goes into it, the networking you have to do, the marketing that you have to do, all the fundamentals, leadership, there is so much juicy details within this episode. Troy is just an absolute wealth of knowledge and I can't wait for everyone to dive into this episode and just soak it all in. So without further ado, let's welcome Troy. Welcome Troy, how are you man? Great mate, thanks for having me. No worries at all. Um, I'm really keen to get into today's episode. Um, very inspiring to see the journey you've been through, seeing where you've took business and where you are going to continue to take business. Now, I'd love to start this episode with just, if you could tell us a bit about yourself, the work that you do, the franchises that you have, and then after that, we'll start getting into the story behind it. So we could just start with what is the work that you do and what are the franchises? Yeah, perfect. So I founded and own a company called The Right Group. We started in 2015. Uh, we have four different franchise brands across New Zealand, um, and we have 253 franchisees across those four brands. All four brands are in the home services sector. So we have Washright, which is now the largest exterior cleaning company in the Southern Hemisphere. We wow. have Lawnright, which obviously mows lawns, commercial and residential. Uh, we have Hallmark Services, which is a commercial cleaning and carpet cleaning company. And then we have the Handyman Group, which does everything from painting and patching a hole in the wall all the way through to renovating an, an entire house. Mm. Uh, and that's pretty much in order of the when they started. So wash right first, Handyman Group last. Mm. Having like a reflection, do you ever sit back? Like when you first heard the news that you're the biggest in the Southern Hemisphere for wash right, was that a really cool moment for yourself to reflect back on the journey that got you there? Yeah, to be honest, it, it was a bit of a shock um, when we'd done the count up of, you know, the hundred odd trucks we had and the staff within that one brand. And we started doing some research and around, and it was actually the Australian Franchise Association that let us know that uh, we were by far the largest, um, by far by almost 50% the largest. So it, it was a great feeling, a bit of a, um, bit of a brag, but um, just something ticked off the list. What an accomplishment, man. And like how much franchisees you have overall is it around the 220 mark over from the uh, last 253 today 253 yeah so 253 as of today awesome, and awesome. We, and that grows by one to two every monday yeah well i i guarantee at the first when you first started this franchise when you maybe got your second one then third one there's probably a lot of worry and fear behind are you doing this right am i doing this correctly but then now 253 later you must reflect back to that time i think i'm so glad I took those steps and i just believed in myself no matter what yeah mate 100 um it, it was a slow burn to start with 
Uh, we sold obviously our first franchise after about 12 months in business. And then I think our second one was pretty much on the two-year mark. Mm. And there was definitely that snowballing effect. Um, but it, it just come down to, I, I guess, the vision we had when we started the business was to franchise. Um, and it was just that slow burn, that slow grind. And then we had to we quickly realize we had to get other people to buy into our vision. Yeah. So we obviously had to start to try and sell the vision, explain the vision. Um, and a, a lot of people on the line have jumped on that board. Mm, I love that. I love the saying you've got behind you as well. It's kind of fun to do the impossible. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, the, the, in my office, I have a couple around. There's that one just to keep reminding me to make sure I'm having fun. Yeah. And the other side of the wall, it says, uh, if you change your attitude, it will change your altitude. Mm. Uh, and that's just to make sure yeah, you're always looking out on a positive light. Yeah, you're obviously putting out good vibes and hopefully good vibes come back. That's great, man. It's cool to have those reminders as well because you can see behind me, this says the marathon continues. So that's a reminder yep. for me. My lock screen for my phone is my vision board. So it's things like that that you have that just ignite that forward to that positive thinking in your mind to keep you pushing and keep you going so if you do have any times of doubt or stress you always remind of why you're doing what you're doing yeah 100 percent. and we've got them peppered all through the office mm. um you know like even above our front door as you walk out there's a sign that says best day ever yeah. you know just to remind yourself as you walk out at the end of the day that you've had the best day ever Mm, that's a that's something that you want to embody within yourself as well especially like as a culture for a team and a business as well that's super important yeah 100 percent. yeah i mean we, we, look i spend half my life at work so do some of the staff so you got to have that family happy environment mm. um too many workplaces just put out a negative vibe and yeah. people wonder why they that they burn through staff mm. what do you think it is that creates a good culture in the business um, I think you've got to let people shine and everyone shines in different ways. Um, you know, like, um, like I'm a, a really intense going a hundred mile an hour type of person, but I can't expect my staff to, to copy me and be me. Uh, everyone's an, an individual, everyone's a little bit different and they all shine in different ways. So it's just trying to find out how that person shines and encourage them to do that. Um, mm. And it could be from the music they listen to at work to we have a really flexible work schedule. So our staff can take time off in the middle of the day to go see a, one of their kids' school events. If that makes them happy, they're going to do better work. Yeah, that's it. Like it's creating the better work environments, they're enjoying coming. But also it's a good way to keep staff long-term as well because they're getting rewarded by strengths-based focus um, things like that you implement in the culture for the workplace. And it makes them actually keen to come for work and help look at this thing long-term. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I'm a big believer that I can't, like for me personally as the owner, like today I was saying to you before that I left early today to go fly a plane. Yeah. Um, so if, if I leave early to go do a hobby or something for me, how can I not expect my staff to want to leave early to go to one of the kids' school events or to go do something that's important for them? Um, so you're just giving them the flexibility to live, live their life um, has done wonders for us. We've never lost lost a staff member. We've had one not leave but have a baby and just not come back, mm. uh, her first kid, but we've never had a staff member leave for anything other yeah. than being pregnant. Um, so, yeah, and just treating them like family. Literally, um, you know, we live on a farm, so we have our own beef cows. We supply all of our staff 
all their beef for free. Um, wow. It cost us very little, but for them, especially with the cost of living, um, yeah. it, it means a lot for them and their families. So just yeah. a little that they're looking after people, treating them as family. That's important too. Like you want to come into the work environment and feel like they're a part of it rather than to come and just so they can make money to pay the bills and drag along. It's like, yeah, I've got to do those things as well. But also I'm coming into a place where it's actually filling up my cup too. And it's super important, especially for like the whole mental health at the moment and workplaces. Like it's such a benefit of the things that you're doing at the moment. Yeah, hundred percent, man. Like we even have in our boardroom a TV set up with Chromecast, so the staff can bring the kids to to work, mm. and they can put them there, watch TV. Especially these days, if a kid has a little runny nose, they're not allowed to go to school. So we don't want a staff member to potentially lose out on income or take a day sick leave just because one of the kids has a runny nose. So they can bring them to work, throw them in the boardroom, watch TV. Go on kids YouTube. Mum can mum can control what they're watching off the Chromecast. Yeah, and it's just building that environment where you know it, it's literally an extension of their home, but in a good way. Mm. Hats off to you, man. That's inspiring for me as someone that is building the business and want to take the like all the things I'm doing to a next level. And it's inspiring to see the things you're doing because it gives me ideas and how to create that culture in the workspace. So, yeah, it's very inspiring for people like myself and the listeners out there too. Yeah, man, like, I was probably just smart enough to realise that I need these guys more than they need me. Mm. So, you know, we've got to keep them happy and it just comes down to that. Yeah, and I'd love to talk about, like, the build-up to where you are now and, like, yeah. what first started you wanting to go into business? Why did you want to go into business? Did you always have a business mindset? So I'd like to bring it back quite a few years to where this all started for you. Yeah. Um, so it all started in probably 2012. Um, I started my first business, um, and believe it or not, it was a debt collection business. So we had a group of we were the repossession guys. We come out and repossessed the car basically because I, I just didn't want to work for somebody else, and and that's all it was. Um, and I, I grew that business quite successfully, and I ended up selling it to a to a finance company, and then. Um, the, the reason for this business was, to be honest, was pure greed. It sounds bad, um, but I read the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and anyone who's read that book knows about the cash flow quadrant and and it and make four times the amount of money. And the only business model I could find where I could be in all four categories at the same time was franchising. So yeah. once I realized I want to get involved in franchising, I, I had to find an industry that I could franchise. And that's where the house and building wash company, Washright, come from. It was something that I could, I could learn fairly quickly and I thought I could dominate in, within a couple of years. And that's where it all started from, out of pure greed, really. Yeah. Well, but that sounds like that time at the beginning, though, where they gave you lessons that you've put into place now with building this franchise as well, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the biggest lesson is just, you know, trust yourself and have a go. Yeah. Um, like back then, I knew absolutely nothing, and once I decided that I was going to have a have a, a really good go and just trust myself, and I had nothing to lose, um, I was only going upwards. Um, yeah. It may have been a slow journey upwards, but I was only going in one direction. Mm. And I heard you talking about too, like a big mission of yours is to be able to build this debt free as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So we we hold no debt in our business. Um, 
and it sounds really bad. The only money I've ever invested in this business is just over $2,000. So every yeah. single one of our 253 franchisees have invested more money than I personally have. And I own the business. Yeah. Um, so, and, and even today, everything that we buy, um, it's a, it's done through cash flow. Mm. Uh, so for us, the whole COVID thing hasn't been an issue. Um, you know, the so-called downturn in the economy now isn't really an issue for us yeah. um, because we just don't run debt. We don't put ourselves in a position that anyone has anything over us. How was that when you first started franchising out? Because if you propose these ideas to people, friends or um, investors or whatever it may be, like people might have been saying or putting their beliefs onto you saying, you can't do that without debt. You can't do this. Like, how would you overcome that um, belief? Um, to be honest, I, I, I'm extremely stubborn. So I just look at them and almost laugh and go, just get comfortable, sit down and just watch it all happen. Um, as I said, once I made that decision, I'm, I'm going to do it. Uh, for me, that's where the game ends. You know, the, the decisions made, whether or not it's going to happen, isn't really an option. It's going to happen. Um, but yeah, there's always haters. And to be honest, I think to be successful in anything, you have to appreciate the haters and you actually have to like really look out and look for them. Um, once you find out who the haters are and what they hate on, all it does is give you a target to prove them wrong. Mm, it's like just putting more wood in the fire. Exactly. It's literally fuel for the fire. Literally. Yeah. And like for someone that is starting up a franchise business that wants to, what does that look like at the beginning? Like what did that look like for you when you first started to uh, create a second and a third? Yeah, really, really scary to be honest. When I, before I started, I, I had it all written down in a bit of a business plan and I thought to myself I had to spend $50,000 on lawyers and consultants to get all the franchise agreements and documents done up yep. uh, and lots of other things. Um, but I kind of done it a little bit different. I decided I would make a list of everyone I, I could find online who owned a franchise network in New Zealand and contact them. These weren't people who were competitors. These were people that were so many levels above me, it was not funny. And I just literally started to call them, email them, Facebook message them, LinkedIn them, and just harass them. And within about a week, I had five or six of them agreed to meet me, you know, have yeah. a coffee, go out for lunch. And once I told them who I was, which was nobody, told them what I wanted to do, which was everything, they all agreed to help me. Mm. One of them one of them owns a large franchise network in New Zealand. He had his own in-house lawyer write my first franchise agreement. That saved me $25,000 just there. Yeah, wow. Um, and the, as I said, it, it literally cost me nothing to get started. But once I started to make those contacts and I realized that the roadmap wasn't that bad, I literally, within a month, I had all my documentation sorted. Now the hard part starts selling the dream to other people. Yeah. Um, when I first started, I was literally a nobody. No one knew who I was. No one knew who our business was. Um, and that's where it's really hard. You have to try and sell the dream without having anything to back it up. Yeah. And then obviously we sold our first franchise. Our very first franchisee was on paper, not the best franchisee, um, had a, a, a pretty dodgy past, um, but had almost a decade of clean living, um, not breaking any laws. And um, we took a chance on him. And to be honest, it was the best chance we've ever taken on anybody. 
Um, yeah. To date, um, it would probably be our number one or number two most profitable franchise per unit. Um, and this guy's doing amazing. And then as we sold him a franchise, we actually financed part of that franchise for him because he didn't even have enough money. Mm. We put all our effort to make him successful. And once he was making great money, when the second person came in and we tried to sell the dream, now we had a reference. We could tell them, hey, here's the contact details for franchisee number one. Give them a call and find out what their experience was. Then they call him and say, and he says, well, I'm doing great. I'm making stupid amounts of money. No complaints. And it just becomes easier to sell number two and a little bit easier for number three and number four. And it just started to snowball from there. That's First of all, that shows the power of networking and connecting with people. Because one thing I say to people is, if you've got a dream or an aspiration or something you want to achieve, find someone that's doing it and yep. reach out to them and try and speak to them. You can find at least like 20 people doing that one thing. Reach out to them all and I guarantee at least one of them will get back to you. Yeah. To be honest, I, I guarantee at least a third of them will get back to you, if yeah. not half. Um, and I still do it today. You know, if I want to know something about anything, I'll just contact them, give them a call. You'd be surprised. You know, most people in Australia and New Zealand, where I am now, uh, are nice people. They will give you the time of day. Just ask. Yeah. That's it. It's just not being afraid and think two people are far out of reach. Like the people listening right there, like I, I um, invite you to go and message these people that you are doing the things that you want to do and just reach out to them. So a conversation, maybe get a coffee with them or if they're on the other side of the country, maybe catch up with them on Zoom for 20, 30 minutes. Just make that connection and reach out to people because like for yourself, that took you to places where you thought that you might not have been able to get to. 100%. And I was told two different sayings back when I first started. And the first one is your network is your net worth. Mm. And then the other one is you are the sum of the five people you hang around with the most. Yeah. So be very careful who you hang with. Be very careful who they are and what their attitudes are because they, you will adopt them. Yeah, that's so true. And there was a study that done, this is a bit off track, but there's a study that, that was done and within a 20 feet radius, people's DNA and hormones can actually be shared and become one. So there's a study that was done with a room of 10 people. And after one hour, everyone's blood pressure became the same. Everyone's heart rate became the same yeah. pace. That just shows how powerful um, your environment is. So it's important to surround yourself in places where you will grow. Yeah, exactly. It, there's a very similar study also done, you know, that your body weight will change to become the average of the body weight of the people that you hang around with. So if you hang around people that are very thin and very fit and very active, there's a lot higher chance of you becoming that there because you see it. You almost learn through osmosis about, you know, your fitness, your health and life in general as well. Mm, yeah, that's powerful. And I think that ties back into yourself creating a good work environment because if the environment's healthy, if, if a new person comes in, they're going to feed off that. Yeah, 100%, totally. You know what I mean? Like it, people, human beings learn through osmosis that they, they pick up what, what people put down, they hear conversations, they see things and they adapt to that. Yeah. And I'd like to come back a bit when, you started to build out this franchise. Like what did the marketing look like at the time to be able to convince people to be a part of this franchise and how did you pitch it? Um, to be honest, everything that was free. So it all started with YouTube. Yeah. So I started a, a YouTube channel for Wash Right 
and I just started to create content. Um, and I'm a firm believer you have to give before you get. So I just put out tons and tons and tons of free content. And it could have been content on how to build a pressure washer, how to repair a pressure washer. Um, you know, I done a video on what my marketing calendar looked like and how I structured my marketing calendar. So I just put out all this content out there. And then I quickly realized there was people in the industry that, that knew less than me. So they were almost living off that content and building their business off that. And yeah. then what I also found is a lot of people tried to start their own business, thought, found out that was harder than they actually thought. And then they come to us to buy a franchise off us because they assume that we have the systems and processes in place. So YouTube was a big one for us early days. Um, we have a website over here called TradeMe. Uh, it's very similar to Gumtree in Australia. Yeah. Um, again, obviously ads on there. And then Facebook. You know, Facebook's still fairly big now, but obviously eight, nine years ago, I, I think it was larger because we yeah. didn't really have, you know, TikTok and Instagram wasn't that big back then. Mm. So obviously, again, free content on Facebook um, and just trying to put that out there to have almost like a, a library of free content in our industries that people could pick up. Mm, I back that as well because it's so important to be able to push value into the world because what you give, you shall receive. And that's a manifestation of that. Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. And we still do it today. You know, we still run training courses that our competitors come to. Yeah. Um, and again, it's just putting that value out there because we know it comes back and it comes back in multiples. It doesn't just come back what you put out. It always comes back in multiples. It may take a little while to come back, but it's coming back. Mm, that's so true. And like when, like that's the online marketing side of it. So how about like getting reoccurring or like clients to keep and like keep using the business and keep wanting to come back. Like how did you stand out in that regard? Uh, a lot of that just comes down to systems and processes. So we have, a, we have back then and even today, we have a lot of processes in place that, and it doesn't matter which one of our brands, we do a service for a customer. The customer um, will get an invoice, they'll pay it. And as soon as they pay it, our system will normally start firing off a couple of different processes one of them sending them a text message thanking them for their business. Mm. And then it also asks them, would they like to rebook in for next year or next month or whatever the service may be? Um, and the customer can easily just click on that there and that will fire us a message to rebook that customer in on a either annual, bi-weekly, every, you know, every six months, whatever the service requires. Yeah. And then that starts to build a, a almost like a calendar of future work booked in. And then obviously, if I look at house washing where we wash normally once a year, in 12 months time, we already have a calendar booked full of jobs already pre-booked in. Mm. And then what happens is that our marketing doesn't slow down. So we still have that influx of new jobs. And then by year two, we have the customers from year one plus the new customers coming through. So it starts to compound mm. year after year after year. It just compounds to the point that you have to then start to grow your business and have second truck third truck within your same franchise yeah, i was just about to say that like multiple trucks in the one location or one area yeah yeah definitely yeah. if i look at the city i'm in the wash right franchisee he has five trucks in yeah. this one yeah yeah well and when you started to go on this journey how far along on it did you realize you had to start building the team around you um later than i should have 
um, to be honest. And that just come down to me being tight with money and not wanting to invest into staff. Mm. Uh, and I always had that point that I would hire when I was literally bursting at the seams. Yeah. And I I believe I made the fatal mistake a couple of times of burning a couple of customers because I was trying to do everything all the time mm. um, instead of hiring people. And then w- once I realized that I had to actually had to hire, um, I was very lucky that I just went out to my personal network of friends and, and business associates, and they actually referred one of their own employees to me who yeah. was a general manager of a pub who wanted to get out of hospitality. And uh, I actually employed her as my first admin person just to, uh, just to answer the phones and direct all the messages and, and all the admin stuff. Mm. And obviously now we've, we've employed a lot more people now and now we're employing ahead of the growth yep. instead of trying to play catch up. Mm. And how long did it take for that lesson to kick in to be able to um, <laughs> to plan ahead? Yeah. Too long. <laughs> um, probably about 18 months realistically maybe even close to two years. So for probably the first two years, it was literally just me running everything Mm. uh, and literally bursting at the seams. And then once we, once we hired that first employee, it was almost like the light bulb went off that, Hey, you know, this is working great. We not only do we need to keep her, we need to make sure she's extremely happy. So she stays and trains number two, then number three and so on. Was it hard to delegate when you first started hiring people? Because I know some people come by and do everything themselves and the, they can't feel or they may feel like that people can't fulfill what they can do did you have any challenges with that yeah 100 percent. yeah and, and to be honest even till today yeah um and i don't think that ever goes away yeah if you have a company that you're started uh from from nothing um there's just that certain level of attachment there yeah. that you know you struggle to let go um you know i'm pretty lucky that i have a relationship with my staff that they just tell me to go away if, if I'm looking over their shoulder and micromanaging, they'll just tell me to go away, which is exactly what I want. Yeah. Uh, but it, yeah, it, to be honest, it, it, it's hard even today. Mm. And but that that passion that just goes to show because because you got skin in the games, because you're passionate about what you do, you've actually got something that like a deep belief of inside yourself that you truly want to see this to grow. Like it's not just something that it's just a money pit and you don't care about. It. It's like no, it actually means something to you, and that's probably why you have that attachment to it. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And yeah, I'm I'm well aware that this business provides for my family plus another twelve other families. Yeah, Uh, that 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 level of responsibility there as well. Mm. Um, But yeah, as I said, it's also something that that I started from nothing, and there's just that emotional attachment. And it's something that yeah, I'm never going to get over. To be honest, has it grown quicker than you first expected? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. We, we've grown roughly 30-odd percent, 30, 33%, 35% year on year. Mm. Um, and it's not slowing down anytime soon. Yeah, two um, a week. Yeah. So so for us, it, it's just trying to manage that growth and keep with it and not let it get, a, get ahead of us. Yeah. Um, especially with our business model of, of not having debt. Everything's done through cash flow. It's just cash flow management to make sure that we always have cash to buy the next vehicle, to buy the next, you know, if we need to buy another building, just to keep that growth going mm. is the main thing that we have to keep up with. Yeah, that's super important. And especially because you started to pick uh, Avenger into different countries because you started in New Zealand and I believe you came right. into Australia and started in yes. Sydney, which was your first yes. location in Australia. Correct. 
Yep. Yes. So what was that transition like being able to open a new country as a franchise? Was what was the process of that? Uh lots of money with the lawyers. Yeah. Uh yeah. Uh lots and lots of money with the lawyers. Um, so yeah, we've literally started um got two locations in New South Wales now, Sydney and Newcastle. Um, and it, it's just finding the right person over there. So it took us probably 12 months to find the right master franchise over there because that person becomes basically our representative in that country. Yeah. Uh, there are eyes, there are ears. So just trying to find that right person. Mm. And then it's really just doing exactly the same as what we've done over here is yeah. just get that first franchise, make sure it's a success, um, get the second one, make sure it's a, a success, and then just keep that just keep that ball rolling and just make sure that we don't restrict the advertising or the marketing to make sure those guys do succeed. And for like opening up in Sydney in particular, is that something you knew from living in Newcastle or did you have to fly to Sydney and scope out the area and meet with people in the area? Uh, no, uh, no, not at all. I actually lived in Sydney before I flew over to New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, but the main reason for Sydney is that our supplier in New Zealand for most of our equipment um, is also based in Sydney as well. Mm. And um, they're actually half owned by the world's largest supplier of all of our equipment. Oh, so wow. overnight, we had the best gear at the best rate. So straight away, we get our equipment 30 40% cheaper than any of our competitors, even the competitors that are much, much larger than us in Sydney, mm. because we spend 50 times more than them in New Zealand. So it was very strategic that our main supplier was based there. We could get extremely cheap equipment very, very quickly. Seemed like a no-brainer. <laughs> yeah, for us it was. For sure. And um, how do you determine if a location is going to be successful? They're all successful. Yeah. Uh, so to be honest, <laughs> it, 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 it's not an option. Yeah. Um, and that's just the way we look at it. Um, it's more important for us to find the right person than the location. We can make any location succeed, um, but we need to make sure we have the right person because we can't change personalities. Yeah. Um, so it, it's all about who the person is. Uh, once we get a suitable person, we can make it succeed easily. I'd love to ask you on like a personal level, like where does your drive come from? Um, I think it just comes from you know, my childhood. I, I grew up with very little. You know, I grew up yeah. in a place called Windale in New South Wales. It's basically the red fern of Newcastle, nothing but state houses. Um, and then, obviously, I just grew up with very little, joined the Australian Army, done six years in the Army, which I guess straightened me out a little bit. Mm. Um, got out of the Army, started getting in trouble with the police, and I just wanted a, a clean break. So I thought I'd go travelling. And when I come to New Zealand, I met um, a young lady, had a relationship, kind of got stuck here for a little bit. And then that's when the business started. And I always had this chip on my shoulder that I had to do everything so clean, so legit. No, no one in New Zealand knew me back then. Mm. Uh, so I was almost like a fresh start and I wasn't going to let that fresh start go. So there's almost this chip on my shoulder that I've got to prove everyone wrong. Um, and it just yeah. keeps me day in, day out. Mm, that's good to be able to be aware of having that chip on your shoulder, having that energy, but using the something that's going to benefit you in life rather than using it for something that's going to destruct. 
Yeah, definitely. And, and I'm well aware that I've got some personality traits that could be destructive. Yeah. I've actually got a, um, a medical certificate um, framed at home that I got when I was 13, where my school sent me to a psychologist to see if I had ADD. And the doctor wrote a simple note back to the to the principal, and it just said, "Troy's not mad, just bad." <laughs> um, and I, I, I'm a very stubborn person. Um, I can be aggressive, so I had to know that I have to put that stubbornness and that controlled aggression in a positive way. And for yeah. me, it was just you know put it into work ethic and don't listen to the naysayers and just keep driving forward. Was there any other habits involved to be able to help with that? Like a gym, exercise, meditation, anything along those lines? Yeah. For, for me, like with the Army, obviously lifting weights was a big thing, uh, even till today. You know, going to the gym and powerlifting for me is a big thing. And that's more my, I, I guess, my escape. Yeah. Um, and when it comes to meditation, for me, having kids was that that calming effect, mm-hmm. you know, once I once I've had kids and I realised that it's more than just me, yeah. uh, for me that was that calming effect, and I think that's when my life really settled down. Is mm-hmm. basically having those, especially young kids around. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like a um, implementation of multiple factors that are able to help you steady that, but able to drive and direct you for business. Yeah, hundred percent. And 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 I'm definitely one of those types of people where it was borderline if I was going to go legit and do something with myself, or probably yeah. end up in prison. So, but for me, it was yeah, you know, just either turn left or turn right. And yeah, luckily for me, I took the right turn. Yeah, for sure. And how old are your kids? If you don't mind uh, no, 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 definitely not. I've got three. So I've got a three-year-old, which is yeah. our youngest. I've got an eight-year-old. And I've got a 19-year-old back in Townsville. Yeah, well. So that's a, a kid having a kid. Yeah. Well, that's a um it's a good example of yourself to be doing the work you're doing, have the mindset you're doing, creating the cultures you're doing, because kids they just they basically see what we do and model that. So it's a good example. hundred yeah, percent, mate. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Totally agree. What are some of the key factors that attribute to success as a franchise, do you reckon? Um, I think obviously work ethics a major one. You know, we can give our guys the the map, the road plan, the instructions on what they have to do, but we can't do it for them. Mm. So just having the ability to wake up every day and get out there and get after it is the most important thing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And along with that as well, like with the support and guidance when you get new people on board, like could you touch more just on the importance of that as well for the listeners? Yeah, 100%. So, you know, you only know what you know. So when these people come to us and buy a franchise, they know nothing other than a couple of preconceived ideas. Yeah. So for us, we call it stand them up and wrap them up. So we, we we build them up as a person, give them the encouragement, the support, the guidance, and then we wrap them up. So we put our, our brand in, our philosophies, our culture, our ethics and our ethos around them. And mm. just basically literally hold their hand for the first it can be three, six, or even up to 12 months until they're confident to run on their own. Yeah. And that's super important too, especially like even there, you got five different trucks too. You can actually have that face-to-face community and culture of people. But the beautiful thing with the online space now is that we can connect like we are now over Zoom as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we, we hold very regular Zoom training sessions, yeah. um, like literally monthly at the moment. Mm. Um, but 
again, I'm a firm believer that nothing beats face-to-face. You know I mean, um, you know, people can hide through Zoom. But we have a um, a franchisee right now going through some major mental health issues. Mm. Um, but that was picked up because one of our franchise support uh, managers actually bumped into them at, at the supermarket and realised something wasn't quite right. Yeah, just the way they were talking, their communication, the way they looked, we could tell there was something wasn't quite right. And within forty eight hours, the franchisee was actually admitted to hospital. Mm. You know, so it's just you know trying to keep that personal relationship with them, so we can we can pick up on that type of stuff. We can help them, and it could be good or bad. You know, people go through divorces. Um, people have family members that are sick or dying. Um, so, you know, having that personal relationship for us is extremely key. And we use yeah. the technology as that fallback. You know, the Zoom and the, um, you know, the online chats are always a second to personal catch-ups. Yeah, that's super important because, like, if someone is having the challenge of a physical health, mental health, it's good to not put that extra stress of work and business in that mix as well. So being able to have someone to point that out at the supermarket and support them through that and take the stress of work and what's going on in this world and be able to, so they can focus on themselves is key. Yeah, yeah definitely. You know, like I, I personally believe that humans aren't designed to build relationships online. You know, people, it, it's meant to be face-to-face, you know. That's why we have eyes so we can see, ears so we can hear, and noses so we can smell. It's so, you know, we can experience the environment around us, and that includes our people that we have with us. Because mm, it creates that deeper connection as well, doesn't it? Like just being able to speak with someone face-to-face. I know when I do podcasts with people at my studio, like you yep. can just feel the energy, and it's like it's a bit of a different type of energy as well compared to Zoom. It's yeah, really- yeah, 100%. Yeah, totally. And, and you feed off that. And so do they. Yeah, definitely. And I'd like to ask, like, when we were talking about before with how to retain or have reoccurring customers, like, how have you implemented to ensure their satisfaction as well? So what's some of the things your company does that I would say brings more value than everyone else? Um, Probably the, the regular contact we have with our customers. So, you know, we bought our franchisees. 10% of every jobs that we do, which is about 300 jobs a week at the moment. Um, we are, sorry, 300 clients a week at the moment. We're actually auditing um, probably at the moment in winter, probably up about half of them. In spring and summer, it does drop down a fair bit, but we are contacting them and we go through 10 questions. We get to rate our franchisees, you know, from obviously a one-star to five-star, and then we have a conversation with them. So that conversation can be, you know, obviously, you know, how the franchise is going, how's the work going, but it's also how are you going? What can we do to help you? Are there any other problems that you haven't thought that we may be able to solve? Mm-hmm. So it, it just builds that relationship with the customer, but it obviously extends our level of service to them because they may not know that we provide a service that they actually need or want. Yeah. And that just goes back to the human connection as well, how much people crave that and being able to add that into business. And it makes people remember as well, having that connection compared to just the service. Yeah, definitely. And one of the good things that we do that I've never seen done before is we have a local florist buy for us literally like trolley loads for mm. little cactuses in little pots. And we have our own little logo on that put on them. And since we're in the home services industry, we're doing a lot of jobs for people who are either moving into a house or out of a house. And if one of our customers moves to a new house, 
we will send them a little housewarming gift. And it's mm. a little pot cactus with, you know, yeah, congratulations on your new house. I hope you have a great, you and your family have a great time there. And it has our little logo. Because yeah. that little pot will sit at their house for two, three, five years in time, maybe even longer. And it mm. keeps reminding them of us. Yeah, that's that thing that keeps people remembering as well. It attaches that memory to the service and the business. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, yeah, yeah we look at it, our competitors haven't picked up on that yet. So customers are like, wow, you've sent me a housewarming gift. Thank you. Um, And a lot of the time, a vast majority of the time, we get communication back from the customer thanking us. And it's why you're there. Can you also book us in for our next house wash? Yeah, because at the end of the day, it's it's like a human service type business as well because you're working with so many people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we have to always remember that, we we're working with their most valuable asset, yeah. Um, you know, and we're not cheap. We we we're by far in the top five percent of prices in all of our four brands. Mm. So we, we can't compete on price, and we don't want to compete on price. Where we want to compete is on quality of service. Mm. And sometimes, if you compete on price, you can kind of get yourself out of the game. But if you start adding more value rather than compete on price, you can start, you probably will get to a point that you have now because it looks like even though you are charged a bit more, the value that you bring matches and exceeds what the price is. Yeah, definitely. And it just comes back to what I said before about you have to give to get. Um, So you have to have the cost. It's all about perceived value. The customer has to perceive that they're getting greater value from you than they're paying you. Yeah. And along this journey, have you had any unexpected obstacles along the way that you weren't expecting? Uh, yeah, COVID wasn't yeah. really in a pandemic. Yeah, uh, that's a big uh, one. That kind of uh, stuffed us around a little, a little bit. Um, How did you the, work for that? Um, for us, we our government just put everything in, in shutdown and then they gave every business a pile of cash to keep paying their employees. Um, and then when we come out of COVID, we had a massive backlog of work. Yeah. So for us, it actually worked pretty well. But for the business side of it, the biggest thing for me was I didn't, I didn't think that it would be so complicated juggling so many different personalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's probably the hardest thing, I guess, of my role as the owner is in some instances, I have 253 business partners and trying to keep 253 different people from different backgrounds and different cultures all happy. And you yeah. can never do it, but that was probably the hardest thing for me is having so many people, so many moving parts, and trying to keep them all happy. Mm. And it took me a couple of years to realise that I can't. I just can't keep them all happy. So the best thing I can do is be 100% clear in my communication, be consistent, and be fair. Um, yeah. Some people are not going to like some decisions I, I make or some things I do, but at least I'm fair. At least I'm consistent. Um, at least I've communicated it to them clearly. Yeah. But uh, personalities is definitely the hardest part of it. Yeah. As soon as you said that, as well as thinking about managing 253 personalities on a day to day basis and how overwhelming that could be at the start, but it seems like over the years you've been able to find a balance with it. Yeah, definitely. And it gets even worse when these people have money on the line. Because yeah. you, you got to remember, these guys have invested anywhere from 15000 to a couple hundred thousand. 
Mm. Um, so not only are they are they personalities involved, but their personalities with have a lot of their money, if not their life savings, tied up in their business. Yeah. Do you have anyone that they can be a point of contact to, or is it just direct to you still? Uh, no, no. We ha- we have layers between, I, I guess, myself and the franchisees, but there's still a very very clear message out there. They all have my cell phone. Yeah. Uh, they can all walk into the office at any time. They can always text. They can always communicate with me if they want to. Um, but for day-to-day stuff, there's basically a couple of layers between me and the franchisees just to ensure that they're always getting a great level of service. Yeah, exactly. And just making sure you're not going to burn out in the process as well and you can focus on the growth of the franchise. Yeah, yeah definitely. And to be honest, probably a lot of the franchisees don't particularly want to talk to me. Yeah. Um, you know, because they may not like the answer. At least yeah. if they go through, say, some of the guys who work for me, they might be able to feel out what the answer might be yeah. before they ask. <laughs> Through all this, man, like how have you found a way to like balance life with the wife, the kids, being able to do things for yourself, like getting your playing license, also trying to balance that with work? Like how do you juggle all this? Uh, great question. I'm a firm believer there's no such thing as work-life balance. Yeah. I'm a firm believer. It's work-life choices. So um, I make choices to be here at nine o'clock tonight talking to you. Um, I make choices to go flying this afternoon. Um, And if you make those choices, you have to be happy with them. Um, So my family, my kids and my private life is so intertwined with our business that Mm. there is no separation. Um, That can be a positive as I can take time off whenever I want to go on holidays, spend time with my kids um my partner left work early last week to go watch our son receive an award at school mm. uh, and sometimes I have to travel for work and be away from them yeah. but firm believer no such thing as work-life balance um it's work-life choices and you make choices and you gotta live with them that makes a lot of sense because if you need a work-life balance you're not enjoying the things that you do on a day-to-day basis yeah for sure i like i know with myself Like I don't need a balance because I absolutely love what I do um, nine to five. I love doing this podcast. I love everything that I do. So it's not like I need a balance because I'm driven to do the things that I'm doing. And like you said, it's all a choice. Yeah, exactly. And you're totally right. Those people that think they need balance probably should need to start to rethink what they're actually doing with their day. They're obviously loving what they're doing. They're obviously not liking it uh, Mm. because they're looking for that escape mechanism. Um, you know, I'm lucky enough to love what I do, so I don't really look for the escape. And if if I do, I I, I do what I want. Um, yeah. That choice, I, I go do it. What was the uh, motive behind wanting to get your playing license? Like, is that something you always wanted to do? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, something I've always wanted to do, and I, I guess now I'm at that point in life where I can afford to do it financially and afford to do it from a time wise point of view. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just something I, I've always wanted to do. Um, and then I, I, I met a couple of people that fly planes and have their own planes, and I realised it, it wasn't that hard. Um, so yeah, just took the plunge, you know, three three months ago and started to do my my training. That's awesome, man. Because you can't live with any regrets. Like if you have something in mind, like you got to go after it and give it a shot. Yeah, hundred percent. And yeah, you only live once, so. Um, yeah, yeah, great, great hobby. Um, it just sucks as it, it, it's expensive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, 350, 400 bucks an hour um, burns it up pretty quick. But um, yeah, is what yeah. it is. 
I always see like on like you see on social media all the time, like all these successful CEOs got these crazy morning routines and daily routines. And do you have anything that you do particularly on the day-to-day basis to keep your mindset healthy or mental health healthy or just feeling good? Um, yeah, my, I guess my main thing is first thing in the morning, you know, basically from about 4.35 o'clock when our three-year-old comes charging through the bedroom door, mm. from there till probably 5.36 when I leave to go to work, it's just time with the kids, you know, and it's normally just laying in bed, watching Bluey on the TV, just, you know, talking about what's going to go on today at kindy and, you know, why little Johnny needs an uppercut for pushing her into the sand pit and, um, just hanging out with the kids. Um, yeah, yeah th- that without a doubt is my refresh moment. Mm, it's good to be able to connect to those things because it does energize us through the day as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And to be totally honest, those kids are the main reason why we do what we do. Yeah. Uh, Given those kids the, the life and the lifestyle that you know, their mother and I didn't clearly didn't have um, is the driving force behind it all. Yeah. And we've, your business as well like are you wanting to go past australia and new zealand is the bigger plans for that going forward yeah yeah definitely so obviously we're by the end of 2025 we want to be in every state in australia and we want to be in in canada as well yeah um they're our, our, our two main goals um and then obviously you know we have no end game so we we obviously want to take over those countries Australia, Canada, then probably the States and, and then go into, you know, England. Um, yeah. But Australia and Canada first, they're the two that have very, very similar franchise laws and structures to where I'm from. So it's just ease of opportunity. Mm. Uh, yeah, and, and just keep growing. Yeah, because I think I, have, I think you said this about like, I think like America can have a bit more stricter laws around franchising and such as well. So Australia has more similarities with Canada. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Um, you know, New Zealand is extremely relaxed in their franchising laws. Um, but in saying that, they don't actually have any franchising laws in New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, in Australia, in Canada, they do, but they're not that complicated to to work around. Yeah. And the good thing is, most franchising lawyers that I deal with um, deal with companies in Australia and New Zealand, so they they know both laws and industries. Mm, that would be um, inspiring for our up and coming Australian and New Zealand listeners here. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, there's no reason why they can't, you know, build their own business or their own franchise network. Um, yeah. As I said to you before, I have no education. I have no university degree, barely yeah. got through high school. Um, so if I can do it, there's no reason why they can't. Yeah. Would you say it's more so just getting into the game and getting the right people around you, networking with people is some of the key things to start with? Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. First and foremost, you have to be a worker. You know, your greatest personality trait needs to be that you are a hustler and a worker. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I always tell people that, you know, the reason why we succeed is because I'm prepared to outwork my competitors. Yeah. On Sunday when they're at church, I'm working. On Saturday night when they're out for dinner, I'm working. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have that personality trait, you'll succeed at whatever you do. Mm, yeah, I agree with that. And could you, I'd like to hear on the positive side as well on your franchise, man. Have you had any like memorable or rewarding experiences or any moments in along this journey? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, I think having our first franchisee having a rough start to life and now seeing them today 
um, sitting on a stupid amount of money, stupid amount of real estate. That is a big one. But also seeing franchises do what I call the life cycle. They come in, they buy their franchise. They might have brought the franchise for $50,000, $60,000. They make great money for three, four, five years. They decide to sell it and they sell it for $350,000. And then they go on to their next journey. Um, I'm a firm believer that, you know, people are are in my life and in my business for either a reason or a season. Mm. And when they leave, they leave with my best wishes and my friendship. So it's great to see these people come in, build a franchise, build a business, sell it, capitalize on it, and then go on to the next stage in life. And we've Mm. had friendship. We've had people come to us. They will buy a lawn right, lawn mowing franchise for $20,000 build that up, sell it for $60,000, buy a wash right franchise for $70,000, build that up and sell that for $250,000. Wow. Um, yeah, all the way through, they've, they've paid themselves a wage and it started from a $15,000 investment and a lot of belief. It's like you're getting paid for all this experience and knowledge and information as well like through what you do throughout the years of going through what wash right and building this business. It's incredible. Yeah, 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 definitely. You know I mean, um, and, and we all learn off each other, you know, mm-hmm. even though that 253 personalities is a pain in the butt, but having 253 people's worth of life experience is a massive bonus to us as well. Yeah. I know that you've got 253 driven people in the business as well. It must be a, an inspiring thing for yourself. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, you know, it, it's almost like a little army that we have. And, and some days I, I feel sorry for my competitors because someone might ask for a referral for a house wash on a Facebook community page. Mm. And then within 15 minutes, 40 of, of my franchisees from the four different brands would be jump on there and just refer wash right, wash right, wash right, wash right, <laughs> wash right. And our, our little competitor will have one referral for them. Yeah. between it all um yeah that just shows what you're doing right and like if anyone's listening that may see that and like they look back in their own business you just gotta ask yourself like what more things could i do in my business to bring more value yeah exactly and it just comes by you got to start by giving value and give without an expectation of receiving anything back even though that i say it will come back and it will come back in multiples if you have no expectation when you give um, you, you're given from the heart and it's always going to come back. Mm. Like you said at the start, you're just uploading videos on YouTube and Facebook and how to fix certain machines and how to operate certain machines and just being able to get that out there just for people to jump on for five minutes. And by the time that they use or get in contact with your service, they've built that trust of you already. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And what a lot of people probably don't know is that we may be the largest house wash company now in the Southern Hemisphere, but I actually learned to wash houses off YouTube. Yeah. So literally it was almost like me giving back to the people that I learned from in the early days. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if anyone out there wants to you know, give back, YouTube is the best platform to, to start with. It costs mm-hmm. nothing. You know, the, it has the most views on any platform in the world at the moment. Yeah. So go on and start. That's where I learn all my stuff is YouTube. It's free university. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally agree. Yeah. That's epic. Um, Before we wrap this up, man, I'd like to ask you, I've got a couple of questions that I ask every guest. The first one is if you could study with any expert in the world, who would you like to study with? 
study with any expert in the world, I would probably say there's a guy in Canada called Brian Scudamore. Yeah. Um, I would probably say him. He's basically um, who I want to be and where I want to be in, say, five or ten years. Mm. He owns a massive multi-brand franchising business, does about half a billion dollars a year. Yeah. Um, seems to be very smart, very switched on, very nice guy. So um, he's almost like the the Keanu Reeves of franchising. No, no one's got a bad word to say about him. Um, just a real nice, genuine guy that's made a shitload of money. Uh, it's awesome. That just shows that, like you said earlier, you know, find someone that's doing something you want to do or achieve to and go and contact that person or learn from them. Yeah, exactly. And he's actually one of the people that I reached out with in the early days and I, I still get the odd email and Facebook message from him today. Awesome. Powerful. Definitely. Next one is this one always puts people on the spot to try and think. But if you could have dinner with any four people, past or present, who would you like to have dinner with? Oh, past or present. I would be going, I think Donald Trump would be one. I think he'd be a bit of a loose, loose unit. <laughs> um, I would be saying, I think Nelson Mandela. Hmm. I think he would be a, another guy that um, would be extremely insightful. Um, past or present? Oh, you got me there. Um, I I am a big big fan of um ACDC, so mm. I'd be going Bon Scott. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I'm a massive Canberra Raiders supporter, so it has to be Mount Meninga. <laughs> that sounds like an epic table. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty good. I think I'll probably start some shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, do, like, do you have any final words you'd like to say as well before we finish? Like, how can people get in contact with you? How can people get in contact with your business if they're interested in any opportunities or just keen to use your service as well? Yeah, the best one's obviously Facebook or Instagram um, or people on LinkedIn if they want to jump on there. Um, yeah, they can hit me up, you know, talk business, talk franchising, or just talk talk shit, to be honest. Um, always happy to meet and talk to new people, yeah. Awesome, man. I'll link everything in the show notes. So if you're listening, just jump in the bio. I'll link everything in for Troy so you can find him and the work that he does. I just want to say, man, thank you for jumping on. Cheers, mate. It's always appreciated. Cheers. <laughs>